Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the hottest sports talk show on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. Stories about players and coaches of all levels. We make it easy to talk sports. Welcome to Never Had It So Good, everyone. We uh, have a, a great lineup tonight at 6 p.m. It's happening in sports. And then at 7 p.m., we'll talk about some of the dual roles that go on in the world of sports, the athletic department and with coaching and, and, and all of that. We'll do that at 7 p.m. But, Duck, um, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Having, having a great day, Princess. I, I went over to uh, Super Eagles uh auto care just to check on my 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 suv today with my man zach so uh-huh. I, the engine light came on so he checked it and come back out and said hey man you need a new engine <laughs> after my after after my mouth dropped to the floor he's oh man i'm just playing Precious, there's nothing to play on that <laughs> you can't be playing on a new engine duck oh no <laughs> you can't do that for sure um, oh. I want to give a shout out to Glenn Corbin, your college roommate oh, that was man. on okay. the show <laughs> last night, and I got him got a chance to ask some questions, and he he actually said he would come back so I can ask some more. So thank you, Duck. That was some good insight last night, wasn't it? Hey, look, okay. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy know Glenn Corbin too, so we can't believe that guy. Yeah. Now we can't believe that guy. Let's welcome in our other co-host who stayed away from it for sure, and that's Tim Moore. He said, Duck, I wasn't going down that road either. So how you doing, Tim Moore? I'm doing pretty good. Cause I said that because I don't want my roommate to pop up on you one night. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I had an idea. Uh, how about how about having Glenn come back with uh, Vance Ross on the same show? Oh wow, that would be awesome! That would be awesome. That'll be some some good stuff for sure. Okay, and Tim, we we used to be tight too, man. Okay, all right, Tim. <laughs> that is awesome. Let's do that, Tim. Um, I will take that idea and run with it for sure. Okay. Let's go ahead and get okay. Tommy Bowden in here. Welcome him to the show. How are you doing, Coach Bowden? Doing good. I got back from a family vacation down in Mexico, so I'm getting rested up. I need a vacation My after goodness. vacation. The Bowden <laughs> took over Mexico. Is that what you're saying, uh, Coach Bowden? My four little rugrat grandsons, Mexico will never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. I bet you for sure. Um, one more question, and we'll get the guys in here, Coach Bowden. So you knew Glenn Corbin? And, and oh and, yeah, yeah, well. Okay, all so, right. I'm sorry. I yeah, we should, yeah, he was hard hitting safety. I remember him as a hard hitting, big, tall, lanky. He was a tall drink of water too. He was, he was tall. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I think we should get Glenn Corbin and, and Tommy Bowden on with me. That, that that'll be a good show <laughs> for sure. All right, let's welcome in um, Coach Ambrose. Welcome to hey, the show, guys. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Uh, thank you for What's coming up, back. Coach? All right. All right. 
Coach Wise, welcome to the show. Thanks, Princess, very much. Hi, Duck. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you? Awesome, awesome. All right. And Coach Ely, welcome to the show. Hey, how's everybody doing? We're doing good, sir. How about you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. All right. Um, Coach Duck and, and Tim, I'll let you all take over. I I just want to participate in one question, and that's the, the conversation about, about Huggins. Other than that, um, I'll just listen in. <laughs> okay, just, we, we're going to let you lead off with that. Go ahead, go ahead Preston. <laughs> okay, I'll lead off with, with Coach Huggins, West Virginia. We know Sparky was, um, you know, charged with the DUI, but he has now since made a statement that he didn't resign. Um, his wife sent in his resignation through a text, and so there is no line of paperwork. And I'll start with you, Coach Tommy Bowden. Your thoughts about Huggins and how confusing, ugly, whatever this has gotten really quick. Your thoughts about this? You know, I'm, I'm trying to see the logic behind what's going on. It's kind of like the Hatfields and the and McCoys. But I, I've yep. been in a situation with my lawyer and the athletic director writing a resignation letter. So I, I'm very familiar with what goes on. And, you know, you got to, you have to have your lawyer there because there are certain aspects with, with a buyout and, you want to make sure mm-hmm. that's covered. And, I, I, and that, that's where I, I can't understand with having legal representation with him, uh, Rocky Giannola, who played for uh, my father. I played with him. He was a kicker. David probably remembers him well. But uh, having legal uh, expertise there and then being this much confusion, I, I'm, I'm really surprised. I'm anxious to see how it works out because uh, right now there's no way the president AD can back down. Uh, Bob. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like he's going to back down. And and uh, my father surely didn't – it didn't end the way he wanted it, but he got a, mm-hmm. a statue and a field named after him. And uh, Bob might have, might have messed up his statue a little bit. He's not, care, <laughs> not careful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do agree with that. Coach Ely, Ely, the same question. This is not going to end well. And obviously, as, as Coach Bowden said, that the university, the trustee board, none of them are going to – back down, and, and I think they've kind of moved on with, with naming an interim coach. Your thoughts about this? Well, you know, any time uh, that that you, uh, you know, get think justice involved, whether it's coaches or players, uh, it's um, – and once the university has made a statement that they have decided to move away, uh, very, very few times I've ever seen any of them back down. It's normally, you know, create the separation and, it's, and uh, try to – uh, do what you need to do to keep your stakeholders involved. That that's uh, keeping the other lights on. So I, I don't see this ending well, uh, you know, for the coach. But you know, it happens, and you know, just got to move on, pick up the pieces, and move on. Yeah, yeah. Coach Ambrose, your thoughts? Well, it's it's a sad state of affairs that we're actually having the conversation. That yeah. We really shouldn't be here, and. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not playing the judgmental game, but we all know we have high profile jobs. We have a higher degree of responsibility, that's just how it is. And we do get paid for it. As far as how this went down the road, like there I, I agree completely. There's a ton of legalese that's involved in this and how is it that we're having this conversation this far down the road? Like what yeah. what was missed in the in between? I, I there, uh, like Coach Bowden said, that's it, a mess. It's 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 a mess. It's sad. I, I hate seeing somebody's legacy be tarnished. 
and this is only going to do that worse. That's sad. Just really sad. Yeah. Now I, I agree with you there, Coach Ambrose. It's only it's only going to get worse if he continues down um, this path for sure. Coach Wise, bring it home for us. Princess, I really don't have anything to contribute. Um, I read the report from Pittsburgh Police, and anybody that reads the the police report, it's it's a non-story. That's all. So I don't have any, anything more to contribute. Okay, Tim Moore. Um, I'm just going to echo what everybody else has said. I think it's a sad situation um, that I think the university probably is in good stead uh, in terms of, uh, of where they stand in the situation. They received a letter, uh, as Coach Bowden said, that had some support from his legal representation. Um, it's it, it's um, it's difficult, I think, for um, the coach to to now go to another university if he ever wanted to coach again, and um, and, and legitimately uh, compete at the level that he has been competing at West Virginia and at Cincinnati um, after this. And, um, you know, you consider what happened a few years ago in Cincinnati. Um, it doesn't look good. It just It's just a bad look all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Duck, you know, you and I talked a, a few times during the week, and, and I kind of said to you maybe a couple months ago with the story from the radio station and him maybe saying a word that he shouldn't have said and the, him making a statement, the university making a statement. But I said then that, you know, um, he doesn't have many other of those nine lives left. He needs to be careful because he is an icon. He is in a paid position. Um, your thoughts about this and where it's gone, and, and then we'll go ahead and you all get started. Well, Princess, I, I differ from, I guess, everybody on here because being in West Virginia and going across that state line to Pennsylvania, I don't trust them, Princess. <laughs> conspiracy, conspiracy. So now you're going to play the conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. True to West Virginia to the very end. Okay, Doc, you guys have a great show. All right, no problem. I, uh, Coach Wise, we want to talk a little bit about Division One football and, and kind of see where it's going, and then we're going to get into the difference between Power Five, Group Five, and uh, one, you know, one double A. Oh, are you at, uh, about the difference? Yes. Well, I, I, I don't like the terms duck being used, power and group and. It's all nonsense. I mean, the guy's got 85 scholarships, and as we know, the difference between Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, they got more money. They can build build bigger facilities, and they have more tradition than, than other people. But um, anybody that's lined up on a Saturday knows that anybody can beat anybody. So uh, I, I think it's a little bit disrespectful to – some of these schools, I hear some of this radio stuff. So it's all it's all money and tradition is, is the biggest thing between between those people. It's the same uh, top ten every year. So I, I think it's again it's a little bit of a non-story 
uh, people kind of beat it to death a little bit too much. Okay, uh, Dr. Ely, I, I, I want to uh, ask you because, you know, it seems like all of a sudden, you know, it was just Division One. When did they come up with the Group 5 school to have, well, like, a I, third Division One? <laughs> well, you know, pretty much like Coach said, it's about money and tradition. But what what has happened is that, uh, division one bowl, division one bowl division. That means you have an opportunity to, uh, you know, win six plus games, go to a bowl. You have 85 scholarships. You have the opportunity to have 10 full time coaches plus the head coach, um, and a large recruiting staff. And it, uh, numbers, there's no numbers on that. Uh, division one A playoff division. There's no more one double A. All right, Division One playoff division means that you can still have the ten coaches plus the head coach. You can have as many support staff as you can afford, which money doesn't allow you really to afford as much. There's only sixty-three scholarships. All right, Division Two, there's thirty-six scholarships, and you can have which how many coaches you can afford up to ten. Many of those schools only have six, and most of them are in dual roles as a coach. Uh, teaching classes or working somewhere else on campus. Uh, Division three is non-scholarship, but you can receive, you know, financial aid. And NAIA means that we are outside the rules from the NCAA, uh, and you you pretty much uh, don't have any scholarships at all funded through financial aid or whatever that's going on. But it, it all comes to, again, back down to money, uh, tradition. I think when when teams started saying we power five, it looked it started locking schools in that had likewise resources to say, okay, we have this much money driven uh, mm-hmm. behind our institution, uh, this much money, uh, so we're going to be call ourselves the power five. We we have an opportunity to play for the high the highest game. But when it went to mid majors, they have the same same opportunity, just like everything else. They, it gave everybody a chance to sell their brand, whether it's McDonald's, uh, Burger King, or Wendy's. And but it all comes down to a hundred yard football field and eleven guys playing against eleven guys on Saturday. Okay, one uh, of Come to uh, Coach uh, Ambrose because Coach Ambrose, you know, I, you know, we're here with uh, Doctor Ely just said, but my thing, I still kind of stuck between Power Five, Group Five, and you know, and the One AA, which no longer is called One AA. But if you got three di- three divisions, why wouldn't the Group Five have their own bowl? Well, in theory, they do. They just yeah. have they have. Second, second tier bowls. You say you say the Power Five, but I, I don't. Coach Healy probably hit the bullseye on every single descriptor here in dividing these up. But it's really the Money Five. It's a, it's it's a name for. It used to be the BCS back in the day yeah. before <laughs> right. it, before it was, right. It was we've already done this before. All that is are different names for big TV contract conferences. That's it. I mean that. that that's the difference. Now, as far as the you know the bowl the bowl stuff, uh, you're changing history there, Doc. I mean, this create what well, they're going to create a what a national champion for the non-power five guys. Yeah, I don't know about that. 
Okay. I don't know about that. It's all, let's put it this way. You have mid-majors in basketball in the same concept. You still have a chance yeah. to win it all. Now, to be honest, the way the BCS is – or the uh, the way FBS is set up, like the, the championship series, I mean, look at Cincinnati. you got to win like 30 in a row before they let you in. So is it really <laughs> fair? No, it's really not. I mean, they're the last, you know, the last team to do it. And, and it's really, truth be told, it's really not fair – because somewhere in that three-year run, I'm going to guess one of those other teams was actually the best team and probably could have done a better job. I mean, Luke's done an amazing job there. But, like, you know, is everything equal? No. Do we still have a chance? Yeah, we still have a chance. Okay. Uh, Tommy, uh, your thoughts on it, Tommy. Well, you know, the biggest difference is, is quality depth. The Power Fives get most of the really, really good players. Now, now, Group of Fives gets some, but when Georgia graduates a great defensive class, defensive line, defensive line, as you probably all know, is the hardest position to sign, the most, most coveted position. And Georgia, they hoard those guys. When they lose a class to the NFL or one gets injured, one transfers, or one gets suspended, they roll in another one. Uh, the group, power, group of Five does not have that ability. When they get a good guy go down, that second team guy that comes in there is, is not nearly as talented. So I, I think when you, you see a, a, a more uh, quality depth at, at the power fives than you do the group of five. And I, and I really believe that here in the, in the near future, and I might have said this on past shows, that you're going to see this power five, which is about 60 teams, start to separate from the group of five, and they're going to have – their own commissioner, they're going to have their own TV packages, they're going to have their own NCAA guidelines, academic guidelines, and I think you're going to see a power conference, a super conference, uh, eventually matriculate in, in college football. I don't think it'll be good for college football, but there is a difference between the two because one's got a lot more better players. Can Tulane beat Southern Cal uh, once? Yes. It's not going to happen very often, and not very often are a, a group of fives going to beat the power fives, but I see a distinct difference in the near future. You put your uh, hat on there, and you can see into the future where these 60 teams are going to separate, get a commissioner, and go and go their own way. Money, tradition, history, all those things are going to play a, a factor. Okay. Uh, uh, Tim, you want to take the, the second one? Well, you, um, you, know, you, mean, you mean in terms of questions? Yeah, you know, you're gonna, you know, we're gonna just rotate them. Yeah, second. Uh, why, why don't you let me? Why don't you let me come in in just a second? I've got to pull that up, uh, okay, and I don't want to waste. No your... problem. All right. Uh, I, I move back to uh, Coach Bowden. You know, a lot of the questions are, you know, being asked. Why go to a prep school or a JC? Besides the obvious, yeah. the grades. Well, one of the is, is if you're not big enough physically, you know, so many times you'll see a guy in high school, six foot three or six foot four, 195 pounds, and uh, he's a really good player, but just not big enough. And, and a power five, I, I'll just keep using those terms since they've come up, is not going to take a chance on him. One double A's are, they're just, man, they're dying. Would love to get him. But uh, uh, for, in cases like that, sometimes a prep school, where he can he can he can develop physically, uh, the junior college, like you said, a lot of times, other than an academic issue, 
uh, unfortunately, a young man uh, in the culture we live in will make some bad decisions, get disciplined. Nobody wants to take the chances on, a chance on him until he goes and, and has to market himself and prove to himself that he's, he can be a solid citizen for an extended period of time. He has to go the junior college route. Uh, yes, the obvious uh, junior college route is because of academics, but sometimes it's a character issue where they've made a bad decision, they've kind of got to, to, to rebuild their, their character, and, and they do it at, at junior college. So uh, uh, I see there's a definite plus in both of them. I think both of them are advantageous for Power Five and Group of Five uh, division football, uh, but uh, I think there's different reasons that they go, and they are, they're all legitimate reasons to send your son or daughter to a prep school where they can develop physically and be prepared with that extra year. Okay, yeah, and it's kind of the same with the question to Coach Wise. Uh, why would you send, uh, you know, and Tommy kind of touched on it, why would you send, a, a, you know, say tell a kid go prep instead of J.C.? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Tommy covered all the reasons. Academics clearly is number one. The if if the young man's a good player, you go in and talk to the high school coach, and and the high school coach says this guy can play. So my first question is, well, why is he going to so and so? And you got to get the high school coach to admit to you, well, he's you know not very smart, and uh, he's not very disciplined. And well, I mean, you know, duck cut to the chase. I mean, you know, let's cut to the chase on this thing. It's beat around the bush about this thing. You're walking in, and you've you've got a certain number of scholarships. And I love the way the kid plays, but why is he going to the junior college? And then they admit to you, well, because he uh, he had a DUI when he was a sophomore. I don't know, whatever the thousands of reasons are. And then you've got to go to the head coach, and you got to, the head coach got to make a decision. This is this worth it? Is he a good enough player that um, – so, I, again, I think it's pretty clear cut. The, the prep school is obviously so different between the northeast, the south, the mid – I'm not sure if there's any prep schools in the Midwest. They are, they are up in the northeast, but they're very elite prep schools. I wouldn't – I don't think they really hit each other, so – Okay. Uh Ely. Now how hard how hard did you go after preps uh athletes and junior college athletes? And Well, I, I think when you when you look at it um and you're trying to uh, you're trying to build out a team, you wanna go wherever players are. Uh and and being in my situation um uh coaching uh, it, it was what once was called one double A level, and uh, which is bold, bold of it, um, playoff division. Now, that gave us a, a another alternative where we could get a little bit more uh, mature student than a high school student. One because we didn't have a lot of depth, so we needed a guy to come in to play right away. So as those uh, those types of uh, institutions are used to for development, whether it's academically, whether it's physically, whether it's uh, discipline for some of it when it comes to prep. 
we would take chances on those guys to get them to enrich our program. And, and it wasn't just at the, um, you know, the, the smaller uh, 1AA schools, but even uh, you saw back earlier, if he's a good player and he meets the criteria, regardless whatever you call him, division, power five, plus, uh, group of five, or wherever he is, uh, whatever division they are, if he's a good player, you want that kind of kid in your program. So uh, those opportunities, it gave you another outlet for uh, being able to get a good quality player that had some more game experience and had more uh, experience playing against a little bit better talent than high school. So you were able to get a guy in. If he was a qualifier, he doesn't stay to have, to have to stay the whole time and prep or junior college, so I was able to add him to my roster in uh, January. If he was a non-qualifier but a great player, uh, a lot of the major institutions couldn't get him in, and he graduated, I was able to add him to my roster in the, in the summer. So it still comes down to the, just another opportunity to get good quality players. And I've had a, a lot of good quality players that went on to junior college and prep school that have left me and even went to the pros but they just needed that development, whether it was academics, uh, whether it was social, or whether it was athletic. Okay, uh, Coach Ambrose, uh, kind of same question. Uh, for for some of the young kids that are listening out there, you know, what do you need to come out of junior college and what do you need to come out of prep school, I mean, as far as academics? The... I um, have a little experience with both. Um, one big fan of prep school, big fan, and uh, as as much as I can have experience with some of the New England prep schools, I can I guarantee coach they actually do tackle, though the better ones are the military <laughs> schools, which is where I sent my son, and they certainly tackle. Um, but from my opinion, like junior college is for the guys that need to step back, so they can gain some maturity, whereas prep schools. More like they need they need an extra year to build up to get to the same place, if that makes any sense. There's, and it's all about maturity. What the guys that have to go to JC are the ones that didn't figured out they didn't have it before the bright lights got on, and the guys that went to prep school are the ones that knew it. They need to get bigger. They need to get more physically strong, emotionally strong, mentally strong, academically strong. It's all the same. As far as you know, how to do which one. I, you know, my my son was 159 when I dropped him off at prep school, and I picked him up at 184. Wow. And and if he would have been a freshman in college that fall, I don't think that would have happened. And I don't think his experience would have been nearly as good. And he, he believes that too. He was a young kid. So that extra year of just life as a prep school kid, whether – any version of it, academic, athletic, whatever, extra year of life experience certainly helped my son be much more successful in his first full year of college. Uh, you know, a bunch of coaches here have dealt with JC guys all across the board from all across the country, and each kid's a different case. It all depends on where they come from. Everybody's got the same goals. You know, you got to walk if you're going to be serious about what you're doing. You go to junior college. You better walk out of there with AAA. If you're a non-qualifier before you go in, or you are royally screwed. You know, when you go to prep school, eh, nine times out of ten, if it's anything you were missing, it might have been a test score. But these days, schools don't even care about that anymore. Test scores are going out the window. 
So you know, both places are places for growth. It just depends on where you are on your life calendar, where you end up. Okay, Cam. Uh, yeah, um, you know we we've had Coach Bowden. He's been on with us several times, and one of the interesting things I've found about been very transparent about his journey, and um, even though he's the son of a legendary coach, he's gone through the steps. Uh, from GA to, uh, you know, uh, assistant coaching and several different places, getting fired, the whole the whole nine. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the journey of becoming a college uh, coach. And uh, let's let's start with Coach Bowden and talk about how you can how you actually get to be a college uh, football coach. You know, it used to be that, uh, that you had to play college football. And back when I was coming through the ropes, the only guy I can remember that, that was moving up the ranks as a coordinator and eventually became a head coach was Mike Leach. He did not play. He was a lawyer, didn't play college football. And I can remember as an assistant, a young assistant down at Auburn, he would come and visit and say, man, how, how did he get your name in there to become the head coach? But now that's really changed because you get so many people right now in the NFL, the head coaches that didn't play college football. And now with college football, the support staffs are so big you get you get people that didn't did play the sport last played it in high school, but when I was coming up, uh, David, as soon as I got through playing at West Virginia, I went in there to Coach Signetti. My father had gone, and I said, "Listen, I don't be a coach. What do you want me to do?" And I was what they call a student assistant. I was still a student, so I came in there. I was dressed like a Wall Street lawyer. My father taught me, man, don't dress for the position. You, don't dress for the position you have. Dress for the position you want. And I wanted their position, so I dressed that way. So I. I go in there and ready to learn some X's and O's and sit in a meeting. I walk in, they say, go get me some coffee. Go down there and get me some donuts. Go get my <laughs> tires changed. Go to the dry cleaners and pick up my wife's dry cleaners. Go to the Pittsburgh airport and pick up his prospect. I did everything but X's and O's. So you you got to serve like an apprenticeship. But I was a, a student assistant because I, I wanted to go in and coach. My father was a coach. Had he been a banker, I'd probably been a banker. But so I, I was fortunate to have a, a father in the profession that could give me some guidance and direction. But if there was a young, uh, say, a high school player that was going to college, I would go to the, see the head coach as a student assistant. I had a guy named Joe Ortiz. He, he still works for the Baltimore Ravens in the upper-level management, was a student assistant at Auburn. A guy named Les Snead. He's a, a director of – I think he's a general manager at uh, – at the Los Angeles Rams, just won a Super Bowl, but he was a, a student assistant. Rob, Dust, you remember Rob Ionella? Uh, Ionella? You remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. An assistant. Well, he was a student assistant in Alabama and kind of worked his way up. So I think if you're a young student at a college and want to be a college coach, go to the football coach. They're always looking for guys, especially at 1AA or, and, and then the, the Power Five that don't, the group of five that don't have the money. They're looking for guys that can that can do things around the office, digital marketing and recruiting and things like that. So, so I would go in and and, and kind of stake your claim as as a young guy. But it used to be you had to play college football. Now that is not the case. But as far as sitting in every chair as a, a student assistant, graduate assistant, an assistant coach, and as a coordinator, as a group of five head coach, a power five head coach, I've I've kind of been through the I've sat in every chair you can sit in. And, it's, and my father gave me two words, and I'll close with this. When I, he dropped me off to the airport for my first full-time job up at East Carolina, coaching the secondary. He said, son, you better have patience, and you better have perseverance. 
And that's the two things I would tell a young coach getting in the profession. You better have those two. Coach Ely, uh, your your uh, your journey is uh, probably even a little bit more uh, more diverse uh, than Coach Bowden's even. Uh, you know how how do you become a college coach? I think you you had some time with HBCUs even. Yeah, you know I, I started out uh, playing for Joe Taylor up at Virginia Union, and uh, got to the you know end of my career and uh, had another semester to finish and. He always was like, well, you, you know, you're real knowledgeable. I want you to be, a, you know, be one of my coaches. And uh, he invited me to come out as a student assistant. I went out as a student assistant. I remember showing up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a coach now. So all this stuff we used to do, I'm, I, I think I drew up about five pages of plays, and I say, coach, this is some good stuff I wanted to show you. And I, he took a, a one of those little vanilla folders and wrote a U on it and handed it to me and said, look, Put all that great stuff in this folder. And when you get your own program, you run that. So what I need you to do is go and, and, and every time you had an idea, he said, put that in your U folder. And and all you did was I went and picked up the kids from the daycare. I went and got, I went and uh, made sure that at that time the tape was on reel to reel. I was the fixer. If the tape broke, I got up in the meeting, turned the light on, taped it back up as a ready. He ran the tape again. Uh, my job was to make sure I don't touch the chalkboard until it was time to clean it. So, you know, all those things that go in into the, you know, all I wanted to do was earn a collar. You know, he wouldn't allow uh, the, the student assistants or GAs to wear collars because he didn't want you to get mixed up as somebody thinking you're one of the real coaches. So I just wanted to earn a collar. So by the time I became a GA and went with him to Hampton, became a GA, and and uh, and as Coach Bowden said, his dad was real instrumental in Coach Taylor's career where the programs were so parallel that they used to dialogue. So the the information that would come was is passed down. None of this stuff is 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 uh, you know it's all about research and being able to find people to win. It, it ain't it's no secret to it. It's a it's a direct method and formula to winning. And those guys had a relationship because they both were winners and they ran their programs like that. That you had to have you know you you had to look. For success, when people saw you, they weren't going to mistaken you for the gym teacher. They were going to know that we coached a profession, and and uh, just being able to take those things and go through from student assistant to coordinator to head coach, uh, having a chance coaching the pros, and now back uh, over at Georgia Tech being chief of staff and using all that thirty some years of information to give to these young coaches. Uh, it, it, it's where uh, you have to have one to drive and understand that it's going to be a lot of uh, uh, insufficient funds in your bank account before you get to the point where <laughs> that check is being paid. You know, I had a gas card and didn't I had a, a gas card for my car and never had a car. Hell, I had to use that to, to <laughs> make ends meet by going in. So as long as you have the stick to itness to be able to say this is what I want at the end. Uh, at, at some point, your motivation, come a coach, going to wear out. Now that determination and discipline is what's going to have to maintain and take over for the motivation to get you to that process where you reach that dream of becoming a coach. So you can be real motivated, but that's going to wear out soon. Now where is that discipline and determination to get you to that end? Mm-hmm. And, and if I had a chance to, as I tell all the young coaches, don't, don't uh, look and count other coaches' money. Went through, as you hear as a student assistant, that's so far removed from you 
Look at the work that went into getting there. You'll see, you'll find one or two that have gotten to the end that really don't have a sweat on the brow, and a lot of times you, they're not going to stay long. But the ones that have really gone through the steps, you'll find coaches that players will travel through storms to get to them just to say thank you and be one of those guys that want to make a difference in somebody else's life and not just trying to make a difference in your own. So if I had the chance to say it, and I say it all the time to these guys, this this is a great profession that we get the chance to change lives. And if you're in it for not, if you're in it and you don't want to change lives, I hope you're not in it for long. Hmm. Coach uh, Coach Ambrose, uh, what I'm hearing here is that you you don't go into coaching for the money. Uh, you go into it, uh, you know, knowing that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work. I spent some time in the music business, and two of the two of the biggest uh, uh, music stars or, or moguls now in the in the music business is uh, well, they called him Puff Daddy at one time. They called him P Diddy. Uh, when he started out, he was washing Andre Harrell's car at Motown. Uh, for the first three four years that he was there, and uh, and Master P, who uh, you know just a tremendous businessman, was selling tapes out of the back uh, trunk of his car. Uh, I'm hearing that coaching has some parallels there in terms of paying your dues and making steps along the way. Uh, tell us a little bit about the journey of becoming a college coach. Oh, it's very extreme step by step. I could not agree more. And to be honest, it that if you're gonna if you're gonna run a business and that's really what being a head coach is if you're gonna mm-hmm. be a head coach then you better know every aspect of your business from the mail room to the secretary pool to the trash guys to the three piece suits and everybody in between you better know everything and there's mm-hmm. no job that's unimportant and no detail that's unimportant and when you go about your business like that as a young coach and you realize if you walk in the door going, okay, I think I know, but I don't know. Let me be a sponge. Let me listen. Let me learn. And you walk in the door like that, you're going to soak everything up. It's the young ones that walk in the door that think they had the answers before they ever saw a test. And they, you know, they might have a good idea here or there, but they're going to step all over themselves because they have no idea the world in which they're really living. Everybody thinks. What is it? What is the old saying? Men in, men in this world think uh, they can do two things, grill and coach. <laughs> and, I, I, and, and we've all been around a whole bunch that can't do either. So <clears throat> um, it is ridiculously important to have your priorities in order. Because if you're going to be if you're going to be a good coach, like like these men said, you're going to give of yourself, and you better be worthy of giving of yourself. So you better have your life in order. And if you're thinking about doing this for a long time, you better pick the right woman to spend the rest of your life with. Because what we do is not a job. It's it's not a job. It's a way of living that we've committed ourselves for the entire entirety of our lives to helping other people grow basically grow as men grow through through the game of football using football as that tool and that's a that's a 24 hour a day 365 smile on your face but you're giving your soul away you treat these kids like your own children and you can't do that separately from your spouse you have to do it as a team it has to be a team and i I, it took uh west virginia dave mcmichael taught me that 
he's the one he he and Karen taught me what we meant in terms of what we do for a living, and it was one of the most important lessons I ever learned. So you know, walking if you want to start this business, you know, some of us some of us fell into it. Um, I was going to go be be an attorney. I was an English major. I was going to go play pro ball in Europe for a little bit, and then come back and go to law school. And God had other plans and a dislocated hip fractured pelvis. I was a student assistant coach my senior year. And uh, I didn't quite figure it out for a couple of years, but for those of us who have done this long enough, they know this is not a job. It's a way of life. It truly is a calling. And the ones that are all in are the ones that make the greatest difference. It's about the money. <laughs> I made $12,000 for four years doing this. I lost a wife because of it, but that's okay. I was, I would trust me, it was an upgrade. <clears throat> if you're, it's okay. There's no secrets. Hey, yes, this is live. That's okay. She's not. Listening. No, but like, it, part of it, it, it taught me the lesson of if this is your calling, then you better have a great partner who's in it with you, and it's got to be all in. And I'm grateful I've been with my wife Melissa now for 27 years, and she's all in, and it's awesome. Coach Wise, I'm hearing some similarities here uh, from the you folder to uh, the attitude you walk into the door with uh, from, uh, you know, having a gas card that, and not having a, a car uh, to use it with uh, to, you know, being the uh, the student assistant. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and what you uh, what you could tell us about what it takes to be a college coach. Well, I, I, the most important thing is I was influenced in high school, obviously, like we all were, by those men that, that coached us in football, baseball, uh, basketball, wrestling, everything. Uh, they were the most important men in the school, and I wanted to be one of those men. And I went to, to become a physical education teacher, and uh, my background was – as I started in Division Three and worked my way up, the thing that was impressed upon me is that you better be able to coach. You better be able to run a drill. You better be able to set up a drill and then learn. And I was constantly going clinics and listened to Bear Bryant or uh, Barry Switzer. Uh, and then the, the line coaches I visited, Jerry Hanlon at Michigan, and uh, Howard Mudd and Dan Radakovich, uh, and just picking up anything so that you could be you could be a coach and you could, as I said, run a drill and instruct somebody. I still visit a, a few places around, and I am amazed by the lack of ability by some guys to identify a drill or run the drill that makes sense and it's going to help me tackle it's going to help me get my head up so i'm amazed by that and and as all the other guys have made a comment the stats are so large that there is room for anybody so there so there's 55 guys at alabama that have an alabama shirt on so i was the biggest thing i would encourage guys to do is to try to try to learn and learn how the game is played and, and, again, to be able to instruct somebody. So at the end of the day, the, the young man was a better player than when he'd come on the field. Fantastic. Uh, Doug? 
Okay, I want to come back to Coach Ambrose, and uh, the question is, uh, is coaching for everybody? And the reason why I ask you uh, about this is, have you had a young man that played maybe professional football that has come back to you and wanted to be a coach but kind of knew more than you did as the head coach without calling names or some type of story to that to that point? <laughs> So we talk, we're talking about a player that I coached that went on to play in the league and now wants to come back and yeah, be a coach? It, yeah, yeah, it could have been a player you coached in the league or a player that was in your area that wanted to come and coach with you, was looking for that opportunity, that type deal, yes. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, first guy that comes to mind, I never gave it to him, first guy that comes to mind is Dan Orlovsky. He's my guy. And he thought he was smarter than me when he was playing. Now, he wasn't then. He is now, though. He definitely is now. But throughout his pro career, like towards as he was going on, he was like, I'm thinking, you know, I'm really thinking about coaching. And what is an issue for him, and it's been an issue for a bunch of guys that were, you know, former professional players, is the, the lifestyle that we live as coaches at the college level. I can't speak for the pros. But the hours that we keep, the travel that we have, that you know, to go recruit, to speak, to do, to do the things we have to do, and when presented with the truth of this, it's rather daunting, especially when you have three young kids. And let's just say that we we pushed him in the right direction. He's really good at what he does, and maybe one day when those kids grow up a little bit and they go off to college, maybe Danny will be a coach after all. But uh, I'm I'm glad he learned that ahead of time. Okay, uh, Coach Wise, same same question. You know, maybe somebody came to be your assistant, or or you dealt with some guys that just didn't have it. And how, how did you work with that? Well, it's very simple. Personality, I thought, was number one. You you knew him in the meeting room on the football field, and he. It made no difference how good a player he was. Did he enjoy, did he love the sport? Was he a great teammate? He had energy. And then, as I said, does he could he communicate with guys and motivate guys and be able to say, God, you may not be a tackle, but you'll be a hell of a center. God, you may not be a tight end, but we'll move you into tackle. You know, guys that had a feel for the game. And I just again I encourage guys to go coach. It might have been a junior high school job at Upper St. Clair High School, but I said, I, you better be able to go run a drill and grab seven bags and, and understand the drill that you're running so you can get the junior varsity team to be a better team. So that that's the way I would encourage guys. Okay. Uh, Coach Hill. Yeah, Duck, it's, uh, you know, not everybody that plays the game can coach the game. And and uh, I've had guys that uh, have played that have come back, and and um, and the key is um, can they communicate what, you, what you're trying to get done, you know. And, and it goes back to the old saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And, you know, do the guys have the passion enough about 
caring for the game and caring for what they're doing to get things happen, or is it the guy that comes back and and uh, we did it this way, uh, and uh, and not in dialogue, but that that's the only way to do it. You know what I mean? And there's so many different ways uh, to get things done, and you know, and and sometimes this game, you know, you get guys around the game because you got some guys that have been good players and. You figure if they put blood and sweat on the field, you want to give them a chance to get in the game. And then when they get in the game, they find out, hey, coach, this job is too demanding of time. This job is too demanding of what I got going on. And, and this is, you know, is a little bit different. They find something else to do. So, you know, you, you always have those guys. And then we're coaches. So every Sunday, if we play on Saturday, there's everybody in town to tell you that coach the game better than you coach. But, you know, so that, that that's part of this game is you're going to have those kind of guys that I would have, I don't know why he did that, because he sure should have did that. But, you know, those, those guys around. But, again, you, you want people in this game to respect the game as a profession and just want to make a difference in the people involved in the game life, not just the players everybody around the game from the recruiting personnel to the assistant coaches. If a young coach can't look at you in your position as assistant coach or coordinator and want to be like you, you're in the wrong profession. Okay. All right. Uh, coach Bowden. You know, Dave, probably one of the biggest obstacles I've seen of, of ex players coming in and wanting to coach is, is, and somebody, it has been mentioned, but just to expand on it, is the amount of time required. I think if you compute it, and I've tried to compute it out, and people think I'm kidding when I say this, but realistically, it's about 90 to 105 hours per week, and uh, you don't get weekends off. But the time demands of, of a coach, which directly influences, and we've talked about this, marriage, it, it directly influences time with, with, with family. Uh, you, know, you, rate, you coach everybody's kids but your own. And all of a sudden, you get disconnected from family, you get disconnected in your marriage, then the time constraints, and we've talked about the, the monies involved, especially at the entry level, you know, it, it is definitely not for everybody. And I think these young coaches that come, and even high school coaches that will come into your office as a head coach, say, hey, coach, I'm interested in getting into, into college head, co- head coaching. They don't understand the time away from family. High school coaches work extremely long hours but they usually go home every night, whereas a college coach will work those hours, and they'll take off, go recruiting, might be gone for 10 days, maybe maybe five days, and miss all that, that family time and quality time with, with her wife. So the biggest obstacle I've seen people to come in, they, they want to stay in the profession, and they can't handle it, is, is the time, the amount of time involved in relationship to money that you're paid, especially at the entry level, is, is, a, is a big distraction. Okay, uh, Tim. Okay, it must be Tim. Yeah. Okay, all right. Tim has no to go. All right. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, all right, here we go. Staying, staying right with you, uh, Coach Bowden. Are student athletes being prepped on the NIL? How's being how's being taxed? You know, you would think they would have to with, with the amount of income. Of course, it's going to be government's going to find a way to get money. So, <laughs> it, 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 and things like this are usually publicized. You take a high profile, a three, four star, five star guy that signs a 
uh, a lucrative NIL deal, it's going to get publicity. Therefore, it's going to get government's attention. So I would think if I were head coach now, you always you always had meetings with your freshmen and with your team about certain aspects of, of the program. I would definitely have a meeting on uh, on NIL uh, and bring in a tax specialist and and go over the, the what's going to be required of them, and uh, because uh, that's something that that they're going to have to be aware of. And it's such a new open territory, and it's so kind of ambiguous that. Uh, uh, if they're if they're not educated, so I would definitely have an education class on NIL. Now, whether these head coaches are having, I would think it at most your programs, at least in the Power Five, where the lucrative NIL deals are, that there's some education going on with with their with their team members. Okay, uh, Coach Wise, what, what do you think about the NIL and? How about you putting yourself in that position, having to recruit this kid, and and that's what he's looking for? Well, Duck, I, I, I've talked to a number of people about it, and I've the thing that's interesting about it is is the people I've talked to that coaches are not are not really directly involved in it as much as I thought they would. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a necessary, if the kid's a great player, then we have to give him more than, than Notre Dame gives him, or if we have to give him more than whoever gives him. So there, there's a point where that comes in. I understand that. But now, uh, like, I would imagine people have budgets, so it comes down to the budget, and okay, is, the, is this fifth-rated running back as good as the second-rated uh, running back, which – we all do during the recruiting process, so uh, it's an it's an interesting dynamics of and the part that I've visited with people about is it seems like the broadcast numbers are so out of whack as to what the young man is actually being handed at the end of the day. Okay, uh, Coach Ambrose, uh, NIL, you know, being taxed uh, again. You hear what Coach Bowden says, setting up classes, uh, you know, hopefully somebody's uh, letting these young men know exactly what's going on. Uh, are, are we prepared for it? Are the colleges prepared for this? Uh, probably not. Not yet. Not not in, in its entirety. Uh you're talking about an unintended consequence that's a positive one. This NIL thing, yes, there's got to be education. And it's, it's, it's darn near negligence as a university if we're not providing it. And truth be told, if our staffs are allowed to be this big and, you know, we're, we're all living in the Alabama budget world or Auburn, as it were, not to offend anybody, <clears throat> then I'm going to say we have four tax attorneys on call for our kids. But in this educational process, I bet these kids learn a ton more about finances, taxes, and financial responsibility that they would way ahead of where they would have ever been ever in their life should this opportunity not have occurred. So like it's 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 a horrible time, it's tough. You know, I don't I don't want to be a coach involved. I'm not I'm not buying guys like I don't want to be involved in that. I want to coach football. I want to help young men. But I understand what it is. But 
There's actually good stuff that can come out of this. And I think necessity is a mother of invention. I think the fact that we're having this conversation means that every other college campus worth their salt is also having this conversation. We need to educate our kids. Okay. Uh, a couple of minutes uh, left. I uh, want to go to Dr. Ely. Uh, what about the parents uh, as part of this? You know, Should they be involved in uh, when you guys uh, talk to the, uh, the student-athletes? I mean, the parents are, are involved. The, the thing that happens with all of this, Duck, is that the NCAA tells us as coaches or uh, as we talk to players, whether they're on official business or recruiting, that we don't control the NIL, the collective, which is an outside group. They control the NIL, so we can't come into your house and say, oh, we're giving 20000 or $40,000 a year. The collective decides what they're giving the kids. And and the parents now, because it's money and because it's they know that that opportunity to exist, you'll find more kids and parents coming on official visits, and they don't want to see the weight room. They don't want to see the library. They don't want to see nothing to do with football. They want to see who the hell running the collective and how is, I, how is he going to get his money, when he going to get it, what's the dates of the money, and then get out of here. So right now, they, we, we have to find a way. Uh, if the NCAA going to be the regulator, we're going to have to regulate money. Anything coming in our game, we got to regulate it. So if it has to be money included in the game, which I think is fine, I think is overdue, but it has to be regulated. we got to cap it off, and we have to put the regulation back on the program that this is the amount of money you got for this year, uh, you can use it as so that now you're doing the same salary cap that everybody else is doing. Because if not, it's going to get out of whack. And as it get out of whack, you find more and more guys that come in to play, and the the, the retention rate going to go down. Because as soon as if he comes to you with no money, you have a good season, everybody in the country calling him trying to give him money. So you got to be able to regulate it. Anything included to our game, we can't add it to the game and then turn our head and say, okay, we don't have nothing to do with it. And that's what the NI, that's what the NCAA did with the NIL. Oh, well, it's outside. You know, literacy, financial literacy, we've been doing financial literacy for years. So now rather than talking about opening a bank account, we bring the IRS in and they talk to them about 1099s and how to pay, pay the taxes. But we got to stop allowing anything to be in our game that has no ceiling and that doesn't have a regulation that we control it. And right now, that's what that is, and that's what you see that's driving these games and driving, uh, as I see, uh, a wedge through your whole program about who's getting what and why they're getting it and I'm not getting it, and the coaches have really nothing to do with it. Okay. All right, uh, Francis? Gentlemen, thank you. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. Today, too, for sure, Coach Wise, Coach Ambrose, Coach Bowden, and Coach Ely, um, thank you for your time. um, College football is is fastly approaching. I can't wait to get you all back before then, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Duck and Tim, we're going to get ready and get reset for the top of the hour. Never had it so good.